So I want to begin today, I hope you all got an outline, and uh, I want to begin today with a, a thought of, of uh, to think about something for this new year. The reason why I'm calling this a workshop is because I'm not dictating to you today what your goals should be. I'm simply sharing a process to make your goals effective. I want our goals to be effective. You've heard the conversation about resolutions, right? Now, if we took a vote in this room, you could be 50-50 split. I believe in resolutions. I don't believe in resolutions. I saw a sign come down the highway saying at a business, I don't keep resolutions because I, I don't make resolutions because I don't keep them. <laughs> it was something to that effect, it said. And, uh, and, and there's, that's exactly why people say resolutions don't work, is because uh, they don't do them. Of course, nothing works if you don't do it, right? My car wouldn't have started today if I hadn't turned it on, right? The toaster wouldn't have given me my toast this morning early unless I put the button down. If we don't do something, it doesn't work. So quick picking on resolutions. It's not resolutions' fault. By the way, does anybody know what the word resolution means? The basic root word of resolution. Does anybody know what it is? Resolve. Exactly. You're resolving something. When you have a business meeting and you take a vote on something, you just what? Resolved an issue. So res there's nothing wrong with the word resolution. So quit picking on that poor word that doesn't mean anything bad. In fact, it's a good thing. Um, I aim my life not toward the resolution type thing. I'm not against resolution. I'm a pro-resolutionist. <laughs> uh, but I think in terms of goals and what a goal may be. Uh, years ago, I read a book entitled One Word. That's the name of the book, One Word. I don't know if anybody's ever heard about it, seen it, read it. But it was a good book, and I had the whole team read it. I mean, I, I bought them one, and had the church buy them one, make sure they read the book. And I wanted them to come up with one word to define what they want to believe God for in that new year. And then years after, they would do that. And uh, one year, I had them posted outside their office doors so that when you walked down the hallway, you could see what each team member's word was and staff. I had the staff do it. And also, uh, outside, you know, what you could be reminded yourself outside your own office door. And when you walked in every morning, there's that word. That's, that's the word you got to think about. Now, if you read the book, you'd understand the concept. It's really a beautiful concept. And what it was designed to do was help us to make sure we're thinking about those things, that thing, those things. Now, there are many words that we live by. Don't get me wrong. But could we find that one word for the year? One office team member had victory. One, I think, had patience on her. She had patience on her door. And uh, so we, we would all have different words. I have a word for this year, for my life, and that's breakthrough. I want to see some breakthroughs, more breakthroughs in my life, more breakthroughs in our church, more breakthroughs in this church. I want to see breakthrough in many ways and, 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 and in personal respect as well. So I've set aside for me a... Uh, one word for the year to help remember what my goal is for believing God to see breakthrough in, in, in lives and things. And I, I got a couple people I witnessed to this week and I'm sitting at a Chinese restaurant waiting for one of my clients to come for counseling. We go to, when we do meet for counseling, we go to Chinese and uh, I'm sitting there in the chair and this lady and her husband are walking around and she comes over, she sits down beside me. They've already eaten. She sits down beside me. So I'm going to sit. Hi, how are you? I, I have no clue. He went out the door. She just kept sitting there beside me. I thought, okay, so here's an opportunity. So we got onto the subject. And lo and behold, she doesn't go to church. And uh, she uh, just said, well, I used to go years ago, but I don't know. I just didn't do anything for me. And I said, okay. And uh, she said, uh, I've tried a couple, two or three. I said, but have you ever heard of the church Calvary here in Dover? And I don't think she, I can't remember if she had it. Yes, she had. She'd actually, I think, been there for production or something. And a lot of, there's been thousands of people in Dover that go, go to the church for productions. So a lot of people know about Calvary. And she, she, uh, she said, um, 
Uh, I don't know. I just don't see. I said, well, let me tell you something. I want you to think about something. Don't, don't think about the church. Think about a personal relationship with Jesus. Having a personal. I had a chance to plant a seed. And she said, listen. And then she got up and said, well, I'll see you. Goodbye. Strangest thing. I swear before God. If I didn't know any better, God literally stopped her tracks from leaving so that she would sit down so that he could put a seed in her heart. I believe that. I'll go to my grave believing that because it was the most unique or, uh, uh, formation of how she just came over and sat down beside me and started talking. And he, he walked out. He's probably out there. You know what made the comment start the conversation? It was really a cold day. He's wearing shorts and a shirt, sleeve shirt and shorts and flip-flops. And I said, uh, you must be from Michigan. He says, nope, because <laughs> us Michigan people do that. I wear shorts a lot during the winter. I wore them this week outside doing, doing stuff because that's just where we were in Michigan. And uh, he said, nope. And he, he said, he's hot-blooded. But anyways, then but she wants to send talk. So praise God. Then I had a guy come to my house yesterday to fix a uh, love seat this thing on the side is broken and he needed a new motor and it's under warranty so they came and they fixed it and uh, of course I had to ask him you, you, you come into a preacher's home I have to ask them one at least one question where do you go to church do you go to church and where oh I, I don't I don't even believe in God There's no way do I believe in God no matter what you say I don't believe in God I just don't I don't believe in anything I said okay and uh, he remembered me because he fixed our thing before and uh, so he said, I do know one thing is strange around here. I, I said, where do you live? In Milford, if you've heard of Anchor Church. Our church started a church in Anchor Church. Started the church in Milford. And uh, uh, it's going strong today. And he, uh, I said, have you heard of Anchor Church? He says, no, I, I just don't go to church. Don't believe it. I've been to church twice in my life. And uh, I said, okay. And so I kept talking to him. And I says, well, uh, where, where do you think all this came from? And I think he said, did he say molecules? I think he said molecules. I said, well, let me ask you a question. Where did the molecules come from? He says, looked at me, he laughed. He said, I know where you're going with this. He said, I know what you're going to say. I know, I know. I said, well, think about it. It had to come from someplace. It can't just have been. And to make a long story short, you know what I said to him? I said, you know what, friend? I don't want you to worry about the church label. I want you to worry about a personal relationship with Jesus so that you know where you will spend your future. And I, I put a little, packed in a little, because I was trained. I can train you if you ever want it. I, I trained myself through a program how to do the gospel in 60 seconds versus 60 minutes. It was trained, it was brought to us and trained that way. And was trained that way. How I can get the gospel out in 60 seconds and it can change your life forever. And, and so, uh, uh, he, he, he said, well, no, but he, I, I could tell he was beginning to soften up a little bit. And, but he, he did leave. And so I threw 10, the box of materials left there. I threw $10 in there. I said, here, have lunch on me, man. I said, well, thank you. Because, you know, one of the things that's good to do is to go one step further and, and bless. I, any, any vendor that comes to my home always gets lunch money after they're done. I've done that for years. So I always give them extra for, for, for lunch and things like that for the workers. And, uh, but I wanted that to speak something to him that, that even though you don't agree with me and I don't agree with you, here, have lunch on me. And hopefully that one day, I said, just remember one day what you need to do type of thing. So keep these people in prayer. And I wanted to share that with you because I wanted you to see how God can bring people to us if we will just walk around being consciously aware of our environment and where we are and what we're doing, how many people are actually, actually are ready to hear the gospel. And if they weren't ready, he put them in, in our space so that we could make them think about being ready. You get it? Some God initiates, some we initiate that God has put there. Let me say it again. Some God initiates, some we initiate that God puts there. So think about one word, how you might want to, your life to live this year, and then and think about this. And, and what I just shared with you, we will cover it anyways. So 
Philippians chapter 3, very familiar. You know exactly what this is going to say. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. It says, not that I have already obtained all this. Now, you have to read verses 7 to 11 to see more of what Paul's saying. And let me say this to you. When Paul's saying this, that I've obtained all this already, I don't think it necessarily has to refer to just the things previously written, but his life as a whole and all that he did. I think that would be incorporated here. Or have already arrived at my goal. Not that I've already obtained or have already arrived at my goal. Interesting word, goal. That's the NIV translation. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. Now, isn't that interesting? Now, when, you, when you look at the life of Paul and how busy this man was. I've called him over the years Mr. Vision, Mr. Uh, missionary, Mr. Evangelist, Mr. Teacher. Uh, uh, Mr. Pastor, uh, Mr. Leader. I mean, he just did it all. Paul was a well-rounded apostle, well-rounded. He could do so much. And here he goes and says, I haven't arrived at all of it at this point, but I guess, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. Isn't that amazing? Still needing to know there's more. But one thing I do, say it with me, forgetting, say it, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press, say press, press, on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All right, now, what does goal mean? Goal means the object of a person's ambition or effort. The object of a person's ambition or effort. And the key thing there is the object. What is the object? What am I wanting to do? What am I wanting to experience? What am I wanting to see? The object of a person's ambition or effort. An aim or desired result. An aim or desired result. So here's a good question. Simple, 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 simple question. This is very simple today. What do you want to see God do this year? I think you should get a journal book. I do. Uh, I, I do. I've got so many, I could open up my own bookstore. And uh, I, I think you should jot down. Take some time. I know we're a week into the year. It's still early. And you're still adjusting to the new schedule. You know, the, you can't have all that good pie and ice cream cake we had and, uh, during the season. Now we got to trim everything off from that. You know how it is. We review, we think over things. What do I want to see happen in my life? You should start jotting. What do you want to see, God? And make them realistic. My wife brought a good point out, and I, I asked her, honey, what are your thoughts about resolution? And, and I said, I think resolutions don't work because people don't work them. She says, no. I, I, she agreed with me. She said, there's another reason, honey is that sometimes when people go to set resolutions first of the year, they overkill. They, they inflate them. They make them too much, too big. It's grandiose. It's, it's grander. It's like, I'm going to you know, climb Mount Everest. Yeah, you're 80 years old. Have fun. You know, we, we, we put goals in front of us that are way beyond common sense. And she said, I think they should start at a, a basic level and make it incrementally uh, grow on you type of thing. I'm adding that thought to it from what she was saying, incrementally grow. And I think she had a good point. And I think I had a good point. So if we could put it together, here's what we're saying. Goals, resolutions are good, but be practical and be careful how you develop them. Don't overinflate your ability, yet don't make them too small because God can give us the ability to do great things above and beyond that which we could ever think or expect according to Ephesians chapter 3, verse, or is it 320? 320, I think it is. It says something of that nature. It's either 210 or 320. Now, 210 is the workmanship. 320 is we can do above and beyond which we can think, ask, or expect. So don't make them too small, but make them big enough to make them something to work toward. So the object of a person's ambition or effort and aim or desired result, that's what goal means. 
So let's get started. The first thing we should do as an acronym here for goals is we should make God first. Now, that you may say, well, Pastor, that's a no-brainer. But until we understand what Matthew 6.33 says, it's not such a no-brainer as you may think. So let's take a look at Matthew 6.33. It says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Okay, so pastor, I do. I, I seek the Lord. I pray, read my Bible. So now I'm going to go out and just believe God to give me all those things type of thing. Well, did you know that if you study this verse in the original language in which it was written, do you know what it actually means? First seek is first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It actually meant first know. I mean, please go home and scholars, do your homework. Check me out. Get out your commentaries and check me out. I don't want you to think I'm making anything up today. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness means first seek what is God's will. Why else are we seeking God? To what, is it seeking God to know his will? And how to live? That's the righteousness part. We're supposed to seek God to know what his will is. And then as we, listen to this, as I understood it, as we are doing his will, living righteously before him, then all these things will be added unto us. There's a responsibility having all these things added unto us. Yes, we go out, we work, we slave away, do our things, we buy, we purchase, and we get things, we fix our home, we eat our food, we take care of things. Yes, we, we get, he's given us the ability to do that. But this verse meant much, this verse actually meant, first know who I am. Know what my will is for your life. And live it righteously. That's how these things become a part of our lives, all these things. And what are all these things? Well, the three basic things he mentioned were in verses 25 through 32. We're not going to read those, but the verses prior in the context was that we have our clothes, our food, and our drink. Three things were mentioned. As he provides for the birds of the air and the flowers of the field, he buys the clothing, the food, the drink. And when you read that, you get the understanding. And when it says the birds will store it in the barn, you get the impression that you could even insert there your housing if you want. In other words, all things. All things. Your food, your drink, your clothing, your livelihood, your, your finances, your, your dwelling, your possessions, your blessings. I think it's all inclusive because it says all things. But he gives an example of three of them in the prior verses. That's important. So let God be first. Be seek of the Lord continually. All right? Now, number two, organize your life. Now, folks, listen. If you looked in my closet... Or the top of my dresser drawer at home, top drawer, you would say you are the sloppiest pig I've ever seen. I just stuff anything, I, anything I can get in that top dresser drawer, I stick it in there, you know, except the kitchen sink. And in the closet on the floor, I'm, when I'm in a hurry, I don't care what I throw in there because you know what? There's a, 8 billion people who will never look in my closet. <laughs> and I told that to my wife one day. She says, Hunt, the only problem is I will. I said, okay, I'll do better. Now, you look at my office. You look at everything else in my life. I am an organized person. My wife was blown away one day when at church she needed something out of my office. She opened up the drawer and she said to me afterwards, I cannot believe it. Hon, I cannot believe you. You are the most organized thing I've ever seen. You even got your, your safety pins in one tray in the drawer. At work, I have safety pins. You say, Pastor, why would you have safety pins? Well, because when you do weddings. I had a guy that broke his button, the, the father, who's getting ready to walk his daughter down the aisle. And his pants broke in his tuxedo. And he couldn't keep the zipper up. I carry safety pins with me. I had a young lady came to church. She didn't bring her, sorry, ladies, her upper apparel. She had to borrow her mother's at the wedding. She needed a safety pin. 
I had one available. I learned as a pastor, you keep safety pins on wedding days, all right? And so everything was in its own trace. I just can't believe it. you can find anything you want on your desk. I said, that's right, hon. And uh, so, but organize your life. And here's the thing I want us to understand, because people will argue with me. They debate me on this stuff. And my wife at work, if she was here, I'd say this, she, would, she wouldn't mind. Uh, I know she wouldn't, so don't call her, please, and tell her I did, though. Anyways, she, I say, hon, your desk is such a mess at work. And I used to make the team keep their desk clean. I, I trained them on that. We had re retreats on it and stuff. We did training on organization in the church. And, and so I said, hon, you, your desk is a mess. She says, hon, but here's the difference between you and me. Well, your desk is really clean. It really looks nice. My desk is really a mess, and it really is. She said, and she admitted it. She says, but I have what I call an organized mess. Said, oh, man. So how in the world do you call that an organized mess? She says, because I know where everything is, even though it's a mess. Said, well, all right. But I wish you would do better, because all the other team members are making them do it. You've got to do your part, sweetie pie. Uh, because all that stuff's important. You say, Pastor, why would you think that's that important? I'll give you an example. I did a lot of counseling. Big part of my life was counseling, still doing it. And uh, by the way, remember I told you all the arguments that would happen at Christmas time? Remember the last the message, the Sunday before Christmas? Sure enough, the very day after uh, Christmas, I already started doing the counseling. And I'm already dealing with it in the month of January, just like I told you it was going to happen. And yes, there were, there were arguments on the Christmas day. Yes. So, uh, yep, I told you it was going to happen. It does happen because of the, un the over-expectations that people have at Christmas time. So, I bring a client into my office. He, she is hurting. They sit in my office. I have a special place to counsel when I was hired, and I have my desk over here. Sometimes the desk was close by, depending on how they had the furniture. And if they came in and they saw my wife's desk, look, you know what I'm sending them? What message I'm sending to them? I'm sending the message to them. You know why I know this? Because I read up on this, because I'm a reader. And readers are leaders. I read up on this stuff. And when you bring a client in to talk with them, even if it's a business thing, and you got your desk mess, you're telling that client, I'm too busy for you. You just interrupted my life. If that desk is clean and looking sharp, they can assume, well, this guy ain't busy. But now they at least know I had time for them because my desk said, you're welcome in my office. I've prepared for you. That's important in the counseling field. So it is important that we think about being organized. Sorry for the little education there on the side. Uh, but in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, I want to read this. It's from the NIV uh, translation. And I want to argue a debate over something and win an argument today with you. All right, here we go. There's a time for everything. And I really don't need to read the rest of this. That's all I really needed to read because this says it all right there. We've got to quit. Number one, we've got to quit lying to ourselves. You know we do, right? Did you know we do? Every single time you say, I say, I don't have time for that. I just lied, according to this. I know you don't believe what I'm saying right now. That's okay. I believe it, and that's what matters. I know what I believe. But ladies and gentlemen, we are lying when we say, I don't have time for this. Here's what we need to say, and here's what I learned to say. Because of my schedule, I tell this sometimes to the clients that I want a certain time for counseling. I, I, at this time, I can't, I don't have time at this time because of my schedule. You see, I didn't lie because there was a schedule thing already in this time spot they wanted. So if I can't do it then, I'm not lying when I say I don't have time at that time because of the things already scheduled. Did you see the difference? But when I'm sitting at home and I'm watching a football game, and someone calls me on the phone and they want to talk and I know that's what they want to do. If I says I don't have time because I'm watching football, I just lied. Because that football is not that important compared to that person's phone call. It's just not that important. Unless it's a telemarketer and it will tell you that type of thing, then I just delete and move on. 
and they can leave a message then. And you know what? 99.9% of the time, they don't leave a message. That's how you know it's a telemarketer. You get used to that. So there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heavens. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to tear down, a time to build, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones, and a time to gather them, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search, and a time to give up, a time to keep, and a time to throw away, a time to tear, and a time to mend, a time to be silent, and a time to speak, a time to love, a time to hate, and a time for war, and a time for peace. Now, the Bible is basically saying that it's given us parameters to know when something does have time and when something doesn't have to have time for it. So there's going to be some things we don't have to take time for because we didn't need to take time for it because it wasn't the kind of circumstance that needed to have time taken for. For instance, if... I think my desk should be cleared, then I have time for that. If my wife doesn't want her desk to be cleared, she doesn't think she needs it, then she doesn't have time for that. She falls under the, th I don't have to have time for that. I don't need that. You see the difference? It's interesting how time management works in our brain. So uh, as hard as we try, we cannot argue that there is no time to do or go through things. We, we can't say there isn't time. There really is time if we make the time. And there might be some things you don't want to make time for. That's between you, you and God, whatever those things may be. All right, so uh, the King James Bible says it this way, a time to every purpose under the heavens. So I thought that was an interesting word in the King James. A time to every purpose, say purpose, under the heavens. So what does the word purpose mean? You ever think of that? The word purpose in the Hebrew, because it's Old Testament, means, and I quote, a valuable thing. So there's a time for every valuable thing. Things desired in the Hebrew. Things desired. And lastly, a matter. In other words, as something that we have in mind. So it's a valuable thing, things desired, or a certain matter as something we have in our mind to do. So that means whatever I feel like I need to be doing, then there's, that's a purpose. Therefore, there's time for it. God has given us time for it. By the way, let me, let me tell you a secret. I found one thing to be so true over the many years, because I would have people ask me, literally, Pastor, Brother, how in the world do you get everything done? You know, I'd make 1,800 birthday calls. I, I, I did all the counseling. I did all the meetings. I did all the, I, I served in the district. I, oh, I was a busy man. Morning, noon, and night. Busy, busy, busy. Pastor, how in the world? And you didn't go to the gym. How did you keep up? I said, let me tell you the secret. Personal devotions and exercise. I made sure I spent time with God every day, and I found something out. If my list was 15-plus things to do in the day, and that wasn't eating, or, you know, it wasn't things like that. It was work things and project things, up to 15 a day. I wouldn't go over 15. I try not to. <laughs> and uh, when, when I set out to get my, get my work done, what, the first, I had a, an actor I worked with called Preps every day for years called Preps. Pray, P-R, um, oh my goodness, P-R-E, P-R-E-P, preps. Um, pray, read, P-R-E, um, oh, this is embarrassing, P-R-E-P-E, -E. what in the world was E? Huh? Thank you. I can't, now I know I'm old, because I did that for years. Here I can't even remember my own product. Pray, read, out of a book, because I read up to 50 books a year, one year. I, I try to average 20 to 24 books a year. And so P-R-E, uh, exercise, and then P were people, that I would touch base with at least five people 
in my life reach out to five people beyond the birthdays. So how could I touch five people's lives that day? And then S was for uh, scripture, making sure that I read God's word. I found a secret, and I'm going to give you a secret. It's going to help you. Put God first, or make sure God's in the equation, whether it's in the noontime, evening, or morning. But when you have your devotions, I saw God give me a supernatural ability to get everything done time-wise because I took time to put him first. I'm telling you, you can't... I used to compare myself to the president. I had to be as busy as the president of the country with all I got done because I put God first and he gave me the ability supernaturally to get this stuff done. I believe that with all my heart. So, the word purpose, a valuable thing. All right? Now, there's no excuse. Don't go on walking and say, well, I'm saying I don't have time for this. Okay? Be careful what you're saying that about, this is what I'm saying. Number three, A, letter A, assert yourself by being intentional. You might notice I had to rewrite the scripture verse. If you notice I, a different font, look, is on 314, because I had to <laughs> uh, write that in before I came to the, she copied it, and I, I had accidentally, just uh, being dyslexic, I flipped numbers when I get to the assistant at church to type for me, or, you know, to make for me, so it was my bad. I corrected it. But look at verse 14 again. Of uh, uh, Assert yourself by being intentional. I, and that's why I talked about the organization way I did, by the way. I pressed on toward the goal. Say press. On toward the goal. To win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I press on toward the goal. Now, uh, going back to verse 13, what does the word straining mean? What does the word straining mean? We read the word straining. The NIV said, uh, I, I do, uh, forgetting what is behind and straining toward. <laughs> Some people might define straining as, well, when I get up in the morning, uh, I sit on the edge of the bed, oh, Lord, it's another day. And you get off the bed slowly, you, you shuffle foot into the bathroom, look in the mirror, oh, Lord, that's not the straining we're talking about. Or when you go to the gym. I went to the gym yesterday, and I sat on that machine, those machines, and I'm doing my exercise, and I'm straining, man. Yeah, I'm straining. And uh, I actually fell asleep in one machine. <laughs> That's true. I'd had dialysis that morning, and when I got to the gym, it caught up with me. And on one of the machines I'm working out with, uh, it's a spin wheel thing. It's for the heart. It's cardio. I'm like this. And, and... And I lost my time on the machine, and I had to, to reboot it to finish it. I was close to the end, but I fell asleep because I all of a sudden I got tired from working out. That's a strain. Here, it is used figuratively to suggest, listen to this. It is used figuratively in the Greek to suggest intense effort as well as firm purpose. What Paul was saying was, it wasn't shuffle-footing out of bed or working out at the gym and straining your muscles. He was saying that within us should be this intense effort and firm purpose that we are going to be who God wants us to be every day, no matter what our goals are, no matter what our resolutions are, that we are going to be what God wants us to be. That we're going to do what God wants us to do. We're going to live the way God wants us to live. That what, one word we may pick, we're going to make sure that we are having those breakthroughs, or we're having those victories, or we're having those healings, or we're having those answers. Whatever word you want to use, love, strength, joy, whatever it is, that we're going to be firm about this. I'm going to strain toward that. I'm going to press on toward that. Oh, wait a minute. It's to exert oneself to the uttermost. It's to exert oneself, to stretch oneself, to strain yourself to be all that God wants you to be. But wait a minute, maybe we better understand the word press. Hmm, what did that mean? 
When Paul said, I press on toward the goal. I press on toward the goal. There's that word goal. What did that word press mean in the Greek? The word press meant to carry out or participate in an activity to actively, please say actively, pursue or follow. Now this isn't actively pursuing when we're at home sitting in the rocking chair. All day. And then watching all TV all night. That's not actively pursuing. That's actively sleeping. That's actively watching TV. But that's not doing much for God. Unless you needed the rest. Don't, I don't want to get in trouble with you. Like I fell asleep on the machine. Obviously I needed it. To carry out or participate. Look at that word participate. I'm not supposed to just sit and think it through. I'm not supposed to just sit and hope it happens. I'm not supposed to sit and pray that he does it and she does it. So I'm off the hook because I don't have time. No, it's to carry out. Carry. Oh, that word carry. It doesn't mean that I'm holding it here in my lap all day. It means I'm carrying it somewhere. Carry or participate in an activity to actually pursue or follow. And what in the world might that be? Well, I can tell you one thing that it should be. It should be actively pursuing what Jesus did. First of all, pursuing Jesus. Second of all, what he did. And I want to give you an example of this very life of Jesus. You remember the woman at the well? You remember what the Bible said about the woman at the well? He was sitting there. The Bible says in the New Testament, John, that Jesus at the well was hungry tired, and thirsty. The Bible says he was resting, he was hungry, he was thirsty. Where were the disciples? They'd gone into town to get what? Food and water. While he what? Rested. Here comes the Samaritan woman. Now, I'm going to bring this into today's life, and I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm not making this up. You know, when you're a pastor, you hear a lot in the pulpit over 48 years. But when you're a counselor, boy, do you hear more in those 48 years. And I do have people that they would not answer a phone. They would not take the time. They would not help somebody because they were tired, thirsty, hungry. That was more important to them. Let me, give, let me, let me tell you how I think we're to respond to this. And I could give you many examples, but I'm going to use the first one because I don't want anybody, I don't want you to feel bad about other people. As it is, you're going to have questions about that by what I'm going to share. We used to, we used to have men's football nights. The, oh, COVID killed that. But we used to, during football season, we'd have a men's group, we'd get together, and we'd go into the multipurpose room and we'd watch the game on, on uh, you know, video. We'd watch the football game, but we'd, we'd bring food. I'd bring my famous baked beans, sister, you know, they like my baked beans. And I, they would, we'd buy steaks and we would have steak and beans and baked potatoes and get a bunch of men together hooting and hollering, rooting for our teams, etc. And I got a call that one of the uh, people in the church, baby, was in the hospital up at yeah, DuPont and was in serious condition. And I was there at the football game. And so I mentioned it. I, I called one uh, pastor didn't answer the phone, didn't respond, and I called and I, I talked to the children's pastor, and uh, I was at the game, ready to watch it, ready to eat, and uh, he he didn't respond. Talked to him, he he wouldn't respond. So here's a baby, newborn, on death door, which eventually, a few weeks there, did die. And uh, so I walked out. As, and don't, please don't, please, I beg you before God, don't read into this wrong. Or I won't share it. You promise me? Okay. So as lead pastor, I led the, I led the way in this kind of stuff. Folks, I, I would spend hours on the road, up and down the seaboard. I'd spend hours. I, I never did anything. I never asked the pastors on our team to do what I would not first do. I did it all the time. I lost a lot of sleep and, uh, on these kind of occasions. And, and so I'm the lead pastor of the church. I've asked a couple guys on the team 
Oh, don't worry, we, we have a talk later. Don't worry about that. We fix things later. And uh, I took my car, didn't say anything, just went up there and, and spent time with the family, prayed with them, and came back, finished out what was left. Now, uh, that's what Jesus would, did, would do. I wanted to have fellowship. I, I couldn't boss anybody around. I couldn't get the response I felt was worthy in their heart to send them because of their response. So I didn't force them because the heart wasn't right, in my opinion. This is team life now. I, I did a lot of retreats with my team, a lot of training over the years, a lot of work with them. And, 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 and I got worked on too. I let them always come at me. We always shared. We were open, open-hearted. And, uh, but that family was so blessed by me being there that it said someone cared. Jesus was hungry. He was tired. He was thirsty. But he cared about that woman. Folks, we, I have had to leave supper tables with my family. Side guys, I got to go. Just got to call. Got to go. I had to do that sometimes over the years. Most of the time I did not, but I had to. That's the mystery. You all came first in my home. After, well, let, me, let me rephrase that. I have to rephrase that. My family, God was first. My family was second. What I'm saying is, though, when there was an emergency, you became the, the thing I needed to do when it was an emergency. If it wasn't an emergency, I said, listen, I'm having some with my family. I'm going to call you in about 30 minutes. You see how I handled that? But when someone just had an accident and they're in the emergency room, you don't want to see the things I've seen in the emergency room over the years. Unless you're a medical person, you wouldn't want to see them. And, uh, but you know, you have to, sometimes you have to just go when it's time to go. Middle of the night, it doesn't matter. Uh, am I making sense? I, I, I hope I'm not, you think I'm not just rambling here. But Jesus set a good example. And press on to carry out or participate in an activity or to actually pursue or follow. And we, what we do is we follow the example of Christ. So the next letter is live your life the way Christ did. Live your life the way Christ did. Here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. It's short. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Now guess what? You know exactly how important your example is. I want to start with the church board. Because you know what? You're going to get rid of me soon. So I can say this and my car's already running. I can get out in a hurry. <laughs> but your people are following you guys. They're following your example. They're listening to your example. They're following your example. They're hearing your example. They're seeing your example. It starts with the church board. And when the pastor, the new pastor comes, whenever that is, he too is to be looked at as one who is followed. And see, Paul saw how important his example was. It was so, he was so, it was so important to him that he lived a right life that you could follow his example and all you could see was the example of Christ in him. Isn't that beautiful? Well, guess what? When all of you go to work tomorrow and all of you go to your rocking chairs tomorrow or wherever you go, wherever you go, shopping, whatever you're doing, you are being watched, and you now become the example of the Christ you want them to follow. And listen, I, I tell you what, I, I've had to correct, I had to correct a team member one time, the way he conducted himself in public. Buddy, you do not act like that again. You are a minister of the gospel. That is not how you treat the public. That is not how you talk to them. That is not how you come across to them. You are a minister of the gospel of Jesus. And you're a Christian. we got to watch our attitudes out there. You know, we can be upset and say it in a way that's kind. We don't have to, like, well, look who I am. I'm the heir of Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm the king's son. I can act any way I want. No, we can't. In fact, we gotta, we got to go so far the other way so that we don't ruin the testimony. Isn't that beautiful, though, to think that I will leave here today and my example will be the one that will either point them to Christ or point them to a future destiny in hell? Hmm. 2 Corinthians 5, 9 says, So we make it our goal, say goal, to please him. 
So if I walk out of here tomorrow and uh, today and I choose to please him, then that is a goal. Then whatever that goal is, remember, whatever your goal is, you live your life the way Christ did, whatever goals you set. So they can see Christ in those goals and in our lives. If we for just one moment could pause and ask ourselves a question when faced with uh, anything, a good one would be this. And you remember years ago when we used to wear the bracelets? What was it? What would Jesus do? I'm going to add three more questions. Not only what would Jesus do, what would Jesus say? And you could even put this one before saying, what would Jesus think? And what would then what would Jesus say? And here is the biggie that we don't think about. That's why I called my team buddy over. Buddy, have a seat. We're going to have a talk. How would Jesus react? We should ask these questions to ourselves when we're in public. We should ask those when we're talking to our spouses, to our children. Some of the children are treated in ways they should not have been treated. I'm praying for them all the time. And uh, lastly, start now. Start now. By the way, one of the prayers I'm going to be praying a lot this year is be quick to listen. James said it's slow to speak. <laughs> If we would just stop and listen and think it through before we say, you know what that's called? Come on, you business people, you must know this teaching. It's called an, uh, intelligence. Hmm. I forget the other word with it. It's intelligence. In other words, it's where you uh, use your intelligence in your head before you say anything, do anything. What? Yeah, but there's a name, another name for it. And I apologize, I couldn't remember what it was all of a sudden. Don't, don't, don't turn 74 if you can help it. <laughs> so here we go. Whatever you do, start now. Start when you leave. And please don't say I don't have time to start now. Because the Bible said you do. And here it says in Ecclesiastes 11.4, if, if you wait for perfect conditions, you will never get anything done. Literally, he that observeth the wind shall not sow. And he that, regard, that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. He that observeth the wind shall not sow, and he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. So, I close with this simple illustration. Uh, my uh, friend and I, we painted houses so we could live. <laughs> he was a school teacher. I was a pastor of a small church at Olivet, Michigan, and, and so we both were painters. We, we were good painters. So during the summertime, when he wasn't teaching, uh, I would we do paint houses and buildings and commercial buildings, whatever. We were professional. We were professional painters, and, and uh, my dad taught me how to be a painter. And and so we went to this one lady's house to paint her house, and she says, "Shine, if I see any clouds in that sky." Don't you show up. I'm not letting you paint if there's those clouds in the sky. So, okay, ma'am. So Wayne and I, we drove, because we hadn't sealed the deal just yet. We, we did get the job. We drove away. We looked at each other and said, boy, we are in trouble. It, we may be, it may take us half the summer to paint that house. <laughs> because there's always going to be some kind of cloud in the sky. So we, we would monitor the weather. And, man, when we got to that job, we would paint 50. We would go lickety split fast as we could. And we literally painted my buddy's house. Literally, we painted his house in one whole day, including the windows and the door and everything. In one day, we painted his house. And uh, so we were good. We were fast. And we, were, and we just knew how to do it. And so one day, there was a cloud in the distance. Come, I said, Wayne, let's get on, John. Let's get out of here. 
And thank God she didn't come out of the house because if she'd seen him, hey, hey, Sonny, you better go on home. Come back tomorrow. <laughs> but we finally got the job done. But this is such a beautiful truth. I want you to take everything I've said today, keep what you want, throw away what you don't want, and work with something. But notice what this verse says. If you wait, it's not going to get done. If you start, it will get done. Think of that in terms of God's work. If we keep studying and doing nothing, it won't get done. If we'll get started and get it going, everything in here and out there will get done as God planned. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for this time today, for helping us to guide us, Lord. This was just a process of how now they can work the goals and resolutions they have made taking this equation and putting it to the resolutions and goals. And Father, I pray that as each one discovers their own skill set, their own uh, abilities and talents and giftings and all of this, that God, you will use them to uh, work a work in their life that will take them beyond their greatest expectations. In fact, that's a good one word for the year, expectancy. What we expect you to do God, you said you can do above and beyond that which we could ever think or expect. Imagine that, Lord. Doing beyond what we could ever think you could do. Now that is something to look forward to. So let us be mindful. Let us be intentional. Let us be thinking of all the opportunities that are around us and just go for it. We pray for these two people that you put in my path this week and that we was able to plant the seed of the importance of knowing Jesus Christ as a personal Savior. God, that you work those words. Open their hearts like you open the heart of Lydia, the Lady of Purple, in Acts. You can open up these people's hearts more and more and more. So do it, Lord, we pray. And you be with this precious church, Lord. Guide and direct them. Let them have the greatest year they've ever had. Do awesome wonders for them and through them. And everyone prayed in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Sorry we went over a little bit, but Happy New Year.